Welcome back to Season 2 of Talking Points. This season, we're back with another 10 beautiful conversations with some of the world's most extraordinary dancers, choreographers and artistic directors. I'm your host, Claudia Lawson. Today, I'm speaking with the divine Dana Stevenson, senior artist with the Australian Ballet. Dana grew up in Brisbane learning tap, jazz, ballet and singing and never dreamt of being a ballerina. But ballet had a way of finding her. And strangely enough, it was a rejection letter from the Australian Ballet School and the disappointment that followed that awakened her passion and changed the trajectory of her life. In this beautifully courageous and candid interview, Dana speaks about her career with the Australian Ballet, her thoughts on body image and being promoted to senior artist after becoming a mum. But more than that, Dana opens up about the birth of her twin girls, navigating the loneliness of motherhood in a pandemic, parenting with a public figure, and finally, redefining herself and returning to the stage. Just quickly interrupting to let you know that this episode of Talking Points is sponsored by Fjord Review. Fjord Review is dedicated to publishing dance reviews, interviews, features and photography from around the world. Whether you're a self-confessed ballet tragic or new to dance, Fjord Review is your companion in dance. For all Talking Points listeners, there's a 15% discount on subscriptions to Fjord Review using the code TALKINGPOINTS15 at the checkout. Available until the end of October 2022, Visit fjordreview.com, that's F-J-O-R-D review.com for full T's and C's. Welcome, Dana, to Talking Points. It is just so wonderful to have you here. I guess I just wanted to start by asking where you grew up and where your love of dance came from. I grew up in Brisbane, so I am a Queensland girl and I have always danced. It's just, it feels like it's always been a part of me and I don't remember not dancing. I started official dance lessons when I was three and I guess that is, um, I know from my son, that that is kind of when you start to form maybe a memory. But I do just always remember being at dancing and I, admittedly I was there a lot. I started at three and then it ramped up pretty quickly because I did, I just, I just took to it like a duck to water. And so was the Australian ballet always the dream? Uh, interesting question because I did lots of different dance styles as a child and I did predominantly a lot of jazz and tap and it was very showy and theatrical and we did had you? to do ballet to be in the Estedford team and, mm-hmm. and so I loved ballet too but it, it wasn't the front runner. Of, really? You know, yeah, no, no, absolutely not. And to this day I still don't know really how I distinguished that it was especially ballet that I went with. And I think a lot of people when I was younger, when I actually followed the ballet path, they were quite confused <laughs> where that came from. So were you sort of maybe more like, you know, and I'm speaking really generally, but like were you more the musical theatre kid? Absolutely. Really? Not okay. I sing very well. Yes, I, I'm, yes I, I never quite got the singing singing bug although if I'd had more lessons when I was younger but I think that was always going to let me down so in hindsight (laughs) it was probably a blessing but absolutely I used to go and watch all the shows that came to town in Brisbane as well as the Australian Ballet when it came to town too so it was just 
I just loved dance. I loved performance. You know, I remember the first time I was on stage with the lights and even as a child at the Estedfords, I just I just loved the feeling of it. I just loved the feeling of the lights and the music and the atmosphere and how it felt to move to music and I didn't I don't think as a child I distinguished between what particular style that was. Mm, yeah, okay. So in terms of ballet, my only exposure for sure at that point in time, without the internet, obviously, was the Australian ballet coming once a year to Brisbane. We'd always go to the matinee. Um, So that was always a big event. And I also had all the VHSs of the time. And I used to watch them over and over and over. So there was a real love and passion for the ballet. And the stories, I think I loved the stories. I loved how they were telling stories. Then how do you come to audition for the Australian ballet? Well, I did extra a little bit when they came to Brisbane, the company, um, when I was younger in Don Quixote and then Madame Butterfly. And so I did, I, it was so exciting, you know, meeting all the dancers and being backstage with them. And um, it was, you know, I think I definitely got the buzz of that sort of ballet company even when I was younger. And then, you know, and Brisbane at the time too felt quite separate from Melbourne and quite quite a bit behind, I must admit. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, I, yeah. I just assumed everyone was much better wherever they were. <laughs> yeah. yeah and felt a bit detached from Sydney and Melbourne compared to what they probably do for students now. But when the Australian Ballet School came to Brisbane, I, I, they did a masterclass every year and I think from probably about when I was 10 years old or so, maybe I went to, to that each year and then I became an interstate associate at the time. You know, there really wasn't that sort of company in each state. Sydney Dance Company was still in its infancy. You know, even Queensland Ballet was still in its infancy, really. And so I think you're right, the Australian Ballet really felt like the centre of it. And because they were mostly based in Melbourne and toured, you know, predominantly to Sydney when they travelled domestically. Yeah, I can see how you would feel that separation. Yeah. And it it, I didn't know, no one in my family had danced. I didn't have, you know, anyone around me who was doing ballet at that level. I actually had to leave um, my dance school at the time, Davidia Lind Dance Centre, which is DLDC now. I had to leave that when I was 15 because they didn't have, I was even a bit younger, I had to start taking ballet classes somewhere else because they'd never had someone go past pre-elementary, I think it was, <laughs> okay. in RAD syllabus at the time. Wow. So I actually okay. had to go find somewhere else to to keep doing my exams. So then that was when I met some really very integral teachers for me at the time. Sandra Ashley was one and Mary Heath was another. And they, I think, got very much so, saw perhaps some potential in me, but more than anything helped me realise what the next kind of level of ballet was. I think I'd been quite fortunate that, you know, I could work out what to do. Um, They'd say do this and I'd give it a go, which is kind of standard for how I do most of my ballet still. But they really started to train me, if that makes sense. And then I guess the next steps just kind of happened in terms of auditioning for the actual Australian Ballet School. I didn't get in the first year for the, at that time, the senior school was um, level six, seven and eight. And I didn't get in the first time. Right, okay. So that was a big disappointment 
for sure at the time. I remember reading that letter in the mail when it came, being so excited and then opening it and being devastated. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Do you think that that was kind of the catalyst for actually this is what I want to do? I I do really think yes. I, it must it must have been because it showed how much how disappointed I was was a pretty clear indication of where I did think I wanted to go. So the I worked really hard that next year. I went to the Queensland Dance School of Excellence, which was a big deal considering like I was so happy at my high school. I had had such beautiful friends, and that felt like a really big deal to to give that up to to start this part-time kind of leading to full-time training at 15. Um, but it absolutely put, was the right step to then the following year I auditioned for the Australian Ballet School again and I was accepted into Level 6 that year. I assume you then moved to Melbourne and do the three years at the Australian Ballet School. W- was, it, was it everything you dreamed? Uh, it was pretty overwhelming for sure. Again, coming from Brisbane, um, you know, I'd only just started wearing ballet tights, I think, with my <laughs> leotard, not that many years beforehand. <laughs> it was too hot, you know. Yep. I went to a jazz school and, it, you know, it it was uh, I'd, I'd noticed when I'd come down for those master classes or something. Um, but the Melbourne girls, they were so together and their hair was so neat and they had really pretty matching bows to their leotards mm-hmm. and they had really pretty earrings in and they were immaculate and they they just knew what they were doing. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, goodness, yeah, this is the next level. And um, I was so excited and I felt like it was absolutely where I wanted to be. But it felt like I had a lot to learn in like the bigger picture as well, being 16. I think of that now. I think you're sending one of my children away into state at 16 and that's a very daunting thought. (laughs) And I read that in your graduate year you then danced with the company, almost like I suppose a trial, um, which happens when, you know, dancers are injured or company dancers, um, you know, are away or sick. And do you think that acted almost like an audition for you, like an advantage in a way? Oh, Definitely, yes. And I feel, I mean, I was so lucky. That was in my final year, so the level eight year, which is a big year anyway in the school sense because you have more performing in that year yourself. Mm -hmm. And as is with this industry, injuries happen, people are sick, people are off, and the company were doing a program called Mr B, which, which was a balancing program, which is obviously very heavy for the females. And um, a lot of dancers were injured. So they called, I think, three of us. Um, it might have been all of us to start with, and the next day there was three of us in to learn symphony and C. And then the next night I was on for second and fourth movements. And, yeah, it was exciting, a bit nerve-wracking. At the same time, at that point in your training, you're so ready. Like this is this is everything you've worked for and I must admit I'm very fortunate that under that sort of pressure I seem to be able to cope and it was absolutely the beginning of a longer-term audition. I mean, how lucky not to just have a class or not even for some. You know, if if I auditioned anywhere and 
only had to do bar, I wouldn't get a job anywhere. It's the worst part of me. <laughs> it's the worst part of my dancing. You know, I wouldn't get a job. So I was so lucky I actually got to to do the part of the job that I find, you know, the best, the most comfortable, which is the performing side of things. Those shows turned into the Sydney season. They took me to Sydney for that season. And I remember being in this tiny studio in, in the Sydney Opera House. It used to be called Studio 69. Fiona Tonkin, our principal ballet mistress, she came to me and she said, okay, because I was doing second and fourth movement pretty much every night, and she said, okay, we need you to learn third too. Mm-hmm. And so I learned third and then one day she's like, we're going to run it all. So we went down to Studio 69 and she just put the music on after the first movement had finished and she just pressed play at the start of second movement and I just did the whole rest of the ballet. <laughs> and she was like, good. And that, you know, what amazing experience. That That is the experience you need. But they must have seen something in you because you don't get picked from the school unless they, you know, unless they've noticed something. I think they noticed I was quick and reliable and I could take, I could take on correction, I could take on detail. What I have especially learnt and from that early time was, you know, you need to be reliable, you need to be versatile. If someone goes off and you can go on straight away, you know, it doesn't matter how beautiful your jump or your arabesque is, like that skill is, is a skill to hone constantly throughout your career and that has been that skill to be able to jump in last minute has has actually underpinned my entire career so it started that way and it continued that way too Mm. yeah so I was very lucky and then I got to perform Graham Murphy's Swan Lake season and then I did La Female Garde and we went to Brisbane so I wasn't at the school at the school much I had to go back and do my exams and my graduation performance and then I fell in a heap at the end of the year (laughs) and but I was very fortunate at the end of that that David McAllister offered me a job for the company properly you know my first year contract the next year but not for a moment in that whole year did I think oh I'm gonna get get a job next year did you really that's that's interesting to think no, no I was just very lucky to be having like I said such great experience, how much I learned in that year, but also for them to be able to see some qualities in me that you don't just see in a plie or a tondu in half a second glance at someone. Amazing. So I, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this about you, but obviously you've been with the company now, you know, a really long time in terms of <laughs> <laughs> longevity of a, you know, a ballerina and a dancer just in general. Um you know, I think you're, is it 17 years? Yeah, this is, this is my 18th year. Wow. So Mm. in that middle section, when mostly you're in the corps de ballet, you actually spent much of your time battling a hypothyroid condition. Mm. Um, And I just wondered if you wanted to speak a bit, a bit to that, just because I think when people look at the end of people's careers, they often don't realise that even though they're in the company, you know, there's still hurdles to get through. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm the first person to be very honest about that and very honest about no trajectory is linear. And even someone who really seems to have been, you know, there's people who join the company and the first day they're doing a principal role, even those people that seem like it's just one straight line straight to the top, it's it's not. You know, if that's a really public 
battle or if it's a really internal private battle with their own self-doubt or something they're going through, no one's path is linear. And mine, of course, was not. And, I again, I I was so fortunate to have that experience. I got joined the company. But, yeah, I think in hindsight the pressure my body had been under at that particular age I was eventually diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune thyroid disease, and it took some time, and by some time I mean, you know, four or five years, to actually have that properly diagnosed. So it started presenting with, you know, I put on a lot of weight, for example, which is really obviously uncomfortable for a dancer. It's, you know, it's a very public, visible thing. I put on 11 kilos in a year, so and I'm not a big person, so that that was a lot and mm-hmm. you know this is this shouldn't be happening this is this is my career now I fought so hard for this um and but the fatigue and um lots of the other kind of symptoms but you know I was still doing eight shows of Swan Lake Swan Lake a week so if I went to a, a doctor they were like oh well you seem fine oh, <laughs> and interesting and you know, I, I was not fine and my mind was not fine and I'm obviously a bit stoic and I can keep going and ballet dancers can keep going. We, we just keep going all the time. So there was no question about how, how much I could get through but it, it all felt like it was unravelling and my body wasn't my own and then, you know, naturally the doubt really set in and I thought, oh, my gosh, this career, I'm going to lose this career over like I don't even know why and because at the time I didn't know why and, you know, the Australian ballet is, is I think, quite quite advanced in terms of the ballet world with how they handle things with body image and everyone was, you know, supportive and it's not unusual at that time when you join the company for, for people to feel like they go through an, another transition at that time, mm. at that age. Yeah, it was, a bit, it was so frustrating because, you know, they you know, they'd say to me, we know you're talented and we know you could do some things, but, you know, it's just it's just not your time at the moment. Mm, it's just a very hard thing to hear at, a, you know, early yeah, 20s. Yeah, as a young mm. person, yeah, you're like, how can it be my time? I, I don't know what is happening here. And obviously being diagnosed eventually was really important and, you know, it took one doctor to say, oh, is there anyone um, in your family, do they have to take medication and, oh, does it leave in the fridge? I was like, I don't know, does it leave in the fridge? Oh, yeah, my dad takes something every morning. And they're like, oh, okay. And I asked him and obviously it was thyroid medication <laughs> and that incredibly strong family history. Um, and it really only got properly, properly looked at. I started making progress of my own once I realised what it might be and things I could help. But it wasn't actually properly looked after until I was pregnant with my son Jasper. Really? Yeah, I had actually made lots of progress and so I was dancing you know my confidence had started to come back and mm-hmm. um yeah I lost a lot of confidence in that time because a lot of it a lot of our confidence in our dancing is linked to you know the lines we're making and mm. what we look like and I can mm. imagine because you know you're putting on weight for reasons that you don't know how do you battle that and then that's impacting confidence and mental health mm-hmm. and from what I, yeah. I know about thyroid disease you know, hypothyroid disease, everything slows. And so, you know, you're sort of fighting an uphill battle. Yes. And I, I was so used to being so highly functioning and I'm usually the other way yeah. <laughs> being like my mind, especially now, <laughs> my mind is racing and it was so slow. 
so a really beautiful piece of advice at the time came from Danny Radojevic, who was the Associate Artistic Director at the time, and he said, Dana, you know you're here because of what you can do, not because of what you can't do. So stop looking, stop focusing on that and just remember what you can do and just keep doing that and do that well. And it really stuck with me because I felt so lost and out of control as to how to, you know, fix all of this. So it's interesting that you have talked about this with body image and you touched upon that really this didn't um, completely rectify itself until your pregnancy with your son Jasper. So I suppose that leads on to your journey to becoming a mum while you've remained a professional dancer. I mean, in my research, I think you are the only professional dancer worldwide to have returned to the stage in classical ballet, having had three children. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) Um, I think there is one principal in New York City Ballet who has also had twins and she has a toddler, but I don't know of anyone else. But I'm also not the greatest at knowing these things. But yes. So maybe two of you across the globe. I mean, it's it's pretty rare. <laughs> yeah, look, even someone said to me this morning who I haven't seen in a while, oh, my gosh, so like three children. And I said, yeah, 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 I do. I, and I said, I still don't really... I can't really process that because I feel I feel like I'm 16 and I don't know really. Of course, I know, you know, all these years and how, you know, everything followed after each other. But um, I think in ballet you feel so young at heart mm. that, you know, it takes a real step back to look at what's happened and what you've achieved and what you've been able to be capable of across those years. But I had Jasper when I was, he's six now, mm-hmm. my beautiful boy, and he, yeah, I had him when I was 30, so which is quite young in some people's version of having babies in ballet. It's, mm. I find this quite a, an interesting area of our industry, well, very interesting, because obviously females are really important in ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an industry where you can just not have females and um, females of huge experience and having having dancers in their 30s in a company is is like all that investment in them. Mm. And I, I'm not just at all speaking for myself here. I'm speaking holistically across. Mm. This is not about me. But, you know, that that is the investment that the company's put into you and that the dancers have, you know, put into themselves. And that's where it starts to come out in their 30s. And that's when women are like, oh, I, I really should think about having babies or maybe I won't, you know, this is like, you know, this is my prime time, I'm just going to wait a bit longer or, you know, not in the right life situation or all these things. But mm. I was very fortunate with with Jasper at the time. Um, I was ready to take a little bit of a step back. I was ready to become a mum and I was very lucky to be able to have him. Mm. Were you nervous that, you know, one, obviously there's nerves that come with becoming a first-time mum, but also from the perspective of your body has been your livelihood? Yeah, I wasn't nervous about that. Yeah, I I was ready for it to not be about me anymore. And um, interestingly enough, I had a similar real moment of that same clarity before I became pregnant with the twins. And it was just I'd done lots of, so going back, sorry, before yep. I had Jasper, and I 
um, had done some really good work and, like I said, my body was starting to get back and I'd found my feet a bit more and, yeah, so I, I'd had some great opportunities at that point. And I'd just been promoted to soloist, I think, as well. Again, I got promoted to soloist after um, Stephen Baines was doing a new Swan Lake and I was fourth cast for the Duchess and I think all three casts went off or something like that. <laughs> and, like, classic, this is my career. And classic, he was like, I need you to go on opening night for the Duchess. <laughs> I was like, oh, great, okay. And so I did it and I got promoted the next day to soloist. So, so I think... That felt like such a massive achievement. Like imagine being a soloist in a, you know, a national ballet company. It's like that was just a huge moment. So mm-hmm. I felt like other than like I obviously could have done more, but I felt like that was such a big achievement and I had so many great opportunities. But it was also time to think about my future and our family at that time. And um, so I wasn't nervous about, you know, how my body would be or I left it very open whether I'd come back or not because I think it's such a transformative experience. You can't possibly know, Mm. like especially as a first-timer, but even after every child it's different. So I was just very comfortable, like very happy, very content with what I'd achieved at that point. But it was important for me to, you know, have a child. So um, I wasn't nervous and then it was quite soon after I had him really, like about four months, I just didn't even think about it much. But I, I, I knew in myself, I was like, no, no, I've, I'm, I'm still, I've still got dancing in me. I, I wow. think I can do this. And, you know, I say it like it was that simple, like, oh, just go back to ballet. But, you know, the logistics are huge, mm. and that was with one child at the time. But I had a, very, I had a staggered return, and um, interestingly, again, the company was touring overseas. I think they were going to London. And the regional tour is happening. So David McAllister, the director at the time, he said to me, oh, because I just said, oh, I'd like to try and come back. And he's like, oh, actually, Giselle's going on the regional tour in July. You know, would you like to do that? It's like, <laughs> would I like to dance Giselle? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't think anyone could ever, like, be anything but, like, ecstatic about that. So I, I was obviously quite buoyed by the fact that I had an, this incredible role that I wouldn't get the opportunity to dance on the main stage. So I had a role to come back to. So it was quite mm. clear. And, um, and what I a confidence yeah, interestingly, yeah, it was. And, you know, I was very fortunate with David, especially, you know, he stuck by me through those really yucky years. And, mm. you know, I really respect him for that. And, mm. you know, I'm sure for our staff, it's not nice to see people going through these phases. And, uh, you know, they're just they're human themselves. So they naturally have mm. had those phases probably two of different points in their life. But he, he stuck Mark by me through those years. And he said, you know, I, th- I think you'll actually be a really beautiful Giselle. And, you know, a lot of people would never cast me in that role. But it, inside myself, I was like, I'm a new mum. It was like the best role to do at that time because, mm. you know, depending how you play Giselle, but, you know, I was, I was becoming a new person and I like finding my feet again. I was very vulnerable. I'd gone through this massive experience. And obviously in the, in the character of Giselle and the story, like the forgiveness, the compassion, the, mm. all of these amazing qualities that just blossom when you become a mother Mm. it was just the most beautiful um connection at the time and perhaps those moments of angst as well (laughs) 
with Giselle is also a few of those. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so obviously you've gone on um, to have your two little daughters who are, I think, nearly 18 months now. Is that right? Yes, they are. They're coming up to that now. Yeah. (laughs) And so has that experience been the same? I guess there'd be many people who think, you know, she returned after her son, twins. It's a it's a big thing to have twins when you're not a ballerina, um, let alone the dynamic of adding two children. You know, it's it's a big change mm. for the first child. And mm-hmm. I suppose as well, you know, you were in a I guess a newish relationship. What was that return like? Did you expect to return? No, I never expected to return. Really. Hmm. Yeah, no, not at all. This is just what I call my bonus chapter. Wow. Um, like, you know, at the end of like a little book when you when you were younger, those little books and they give you like a tester of the next book. That's what the end of last year felt like. And now I'm in a new book, but I don't know <laughs> where it goes. <laughs> that's That's what this feels like at the moment. No, I never expected to return. That sounds so final. And it wasn't a direct decision, okay, I'm retiring. Mm. But, you know, life leads in certain ways. And before I was pregnant with the girls, I, you know, I was having an amazing time dancing. And I'd been really, I must say, the only reason I was able to have a career after having Jasper was because of a beautiful nanny who we had, who's a dear friend now. And also my mum. My mum has enabled me to have my career. I mean, she was there taking me to dance class my whole childhood. She was sewing sequins on the socks, you know, Mm. and she looked after Jasper in Sydney seasons, which are really long, two-month-long seasons on tour. I want it to be, you know, to be said that I didn't just go back to work after Jasper. I was able to do that because I was so lucky to have people who supported me in doing that. It's it is actually just vital in this career. You don't just go back to ballet and it's it's, Mm. a walk in the park. So I knew that. And when I found out we were pregnant with twins, it was okay. (laughs) Like (laughs) I didn't even know what twins are like, but I just knew this is a next level. This is a different scenario. So I knew where my last shows would kind of lie in that early pregnancy stage and I was hoping to get through this was pre-COVID just just before it all started and I was hoping to get through the Melbourne vault season which was the contemporary triple bill and um, I was so sick actually with the girls really which is quite common I was so sick and so tired and I told David you know a bit earlier which you know again it's like such a it's not like you can just sit at your desk and feel a bit sorry for yourself or take sick days. You know, you're out in front of people in a leotard. Being pregnant in a ballet company is, is no walk in the park. You know, people notice things. They you sneak off to the bathroom once and, you know, the chat starts. It's a bit more public than you'd like. <laughs> and it's a really nerve-wracking time mm. because nothing is a given. No pregnancy is without its... Um, worry I was very worried with the twins actually okay and so all of that combined I was like I'm going to enjoy these last shows of vault um when I told David I was pregnant with twins he squealed he was so excited (laughs) and I said I really hope I can make it to vault if I can't I'm sorry like he's like you come in whenever you need 
on a particular, if you just can't, just come in. I said, I know it'll stuff the casting and, <laughs> you know, you'll have to find someone else and all of that. But he's like, it's all right, you just keep going. You know, my obstetrician was happy for me to keep going because I thought initially I was like, okay, I won't be able to do anything. And mm. he said, no, no, I just want you to keep doing what you're doing. Wow. I was like, do you know what I do? <laughs> um, and, and it was a pretty heavy season as well. But, you know, I was so glad I could get to them because they were wonderful. Like we only had three shows and then COVID shut everything down. Oh, of course. It was, yeah, un, un, so unusual and uncanny because I knew they were my last shows, but they were actually the Australian Ballet's last shows in Melbourne mm. until. Well, just recently, um, like two summer, years. Or yeah. just recently. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't actually miss any state theatre shows and I was, I carried twins for nine months and had them and then I was back the other night and everyone said, oh, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> oh, quite. my goodness. Was there a pressure that came with being in a more public relationship? You know, you mentioned that kind of Instagram glossy and we all see it, that motherhood and it's all going, you know, cupcakes and rainbows. But did that add pressure, do you think? Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, I'd like to say that you can you know, you've got such a thick skin, which I do, that you can brush everything off. But, yeah, I'm not used to that sort of public, you know, ballet dancers in Australia, we're not looked at in any particular way except by our, you know, beloved patrons who Mm. come up to us after shows and it's about our dancing and, you know, we're like, oh, thank you so much for coming to the show. It's it's not just about what you look like or Mm. um, we, we made a really purposeful decision not to tell anyone we were having a baby, let alone two, so it kind of did shock everyone. Mm. In the pregnancy, I really didn't want anyone, anyone looking or just judging, or mainly because it's not a smooth time. It's no. you know, it's mm. high risk, and I didn't need to be publicly yeah the comments investigated yeah. in any way. Yeah, I just that was so important to us, and we do we like mm. our privacy. But yeah, I I said to him not that long ago, I was like, I do really feel for you when the girls are going through those terrible twos and they're having tantrums and everyone's looking at you. Like I had that with my son, but you know, no one knows who I am and people still don't know who I am. But you know, like if people have a certain idea on what you might be like and your kids are having a tantrum, no one's good at that. Like you just like evacuate the building. So there's an expectation that Wiggles can deal with uh, two-year-old tantrums really well. (laughs) I don't know. So what changed to make you go back? Well, you know, I must say to start with, fortunately I had a position to go back to. I don't want that to be lost on anyone. My position was held and quite unusually, you know, I didn't have the drive or determination to get back. I mean, my girls weren't sleeping through the night until quite late and even still they were waking up so much more than what my son ever did mm. and so to to do this job you yeah you, you can run on a little bit of empty but it's so physical and it demands so much of you that I just couldn't imagine having being able to do this job at the same time as being so sleep deprived mm. that you you can't even leave the house that effect on your life is just so instant and so immediate and really hard to explain that you just don't go anywhere, you don't do anything and you can't do anything. And with, a, you know, my son as well, like yeah. trying to have time with him, there was no room for, yeah, thinking about going back to work. It was actually like really early on my maternal child health nurse who was a huge, I will say, saviour to me because she 
picked up my postnatal depression so early on mm. and red flagged me and channeled me into the right directions because she she could just see I was struggling so much. Um, we were interstate all the time. Jasper was in another state, you know, no family support. And she just said, Donna, you've, you've been a ballet dancer your whole life. Like you're so driven and so highly functioning. And with twins, you have so little control over anything. And so she put me in the right directions in terms of care and support. And one of her questions early on was, oh, so how are we going to get you back to work? And I said, excuse me? (laughs) And she's like, how are we going to get you back to work? I was like, I just don't even, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to walk home now. (laughs) You know, I was, I could, I could barely walk. I collapsed several times. You know, it was so full on. I was breastfeeding the girls. Mm. I think though, in hindsight, I can see that she could see that Eventually, at some point, I would need to go back to dance to be me again or to find me again. You know, I, I had to kind of put a version of me back together and no one saw me pregnant at work either. That's another thing because after our shows finished, after the COVID stopped it, right in that March, no one saw me. So the pregnancy, like no one saw that. And then they didn't see the babies. No one had met the babies. And then I just turned up one day, I think, wow. yeah, seven months after they were born. And they're like, Donna. And I was like, I, I just don't even know what to say. <laughs> I, and tell me if I've got the timing wrong, but in that time, you're only artistic director. Your first, you know, job was given to you by David McAllister. He had then departed and the company had mm. changed hands. So a new artistic director, David Horberg, is that the timing that David Horberg was now yeah. the new artist? So, yes. you know, it's not like returning to, you know, that really familiar, um, this is the way the company runs. No, it wasn't like putting on a pair of slippers. Mm. And, uh, you know, as we said before, I have, I've been here a few years and I forget yeah. that sometimes, but <laughs> it wasn't like stepping back into just that cosy jumper and, oh, hi, everyone, nice to see you. It was this is different and it's a new era and what will people think of me and, mm. you know, what will David think of me and how can, like, I don't even know what to ask for. But, you know, he was so open and he just, we sat down and I think I said something like that, like this is the first time I've left the house. <laughs> and, well, you know, other than a pram walk. Like, that's okay. He's like, let's just start. He's like, so tell me what you're feeling. I was like, I don't even know, but I think I want to try. Oh. He's like, great. I was like, I don't know what I want to try for. He's like, that's okay. We don't need to do that. He's like, just babysit. Just start. Wow. And I was, that was totally the right direction and so it just started very basic and it felt really foreign and uncomfortable and I couldn't engage in the social side of things even though I desperately wanted to because I missed that so much I missed being around my friends and seeing them do amazing things and like what a privilege every day you know I was very lucky I guess that people had known me for such a long time here and Megan Connolly our rehab coach and ballet mistress who normally you know, she works with everyone who's injured. She coaches everyone if they need, but she does the maternity return sort of thing. She'd known where I'd gone to in that seven months and she's like, you need to go in there and be with people and music and dance and go home and that's your therapy and that's all this is right now. <laughs> wow. And so what was that first return to the stage like? Was it was it cathartic? I mean... I was, I, 
yes, that it was a really special moment, a really, you know, in a dancer's career, you have several performances that do just seem to be magic and sometimes they align with the ones you want to be magic <laughs> and sometimes they don't. But I must admit that 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 one, my first performance on stage again in December at the gala, the Celebration Gala in Melbourne, was one of those, for me internally, my experience was one of those magic ones. And in classic Australian Ballet Dana special, <laughs> I was meant to do, I'd been rehearsing Serenade and then I was understudying the Russian principle and I'd been working along, you know, along on them both and, you know, the stamina for both of them was helping each other, so that was just getting me fitter generally, you know, and I'd listen to Serenade in the car on the way to work and, you know, when I was rocking the girls to sleep in the night because they were having some, <laughs> I don't know what month sleep regression it was that time. And, you know, I was going over Serenade in my head and I, I was doing a Saturday matinee, which is I love a matinee show. I wasn't on opening night. It was like the next day and I'd prepared in the car, put Serenade on, I'd done my Russian women, like the group spot, no worries, get there, start putting my makeup on, 11 a.m. Oh, we need you to do the Russian principle today. And I was like, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> I was like, oh, my legs went to jelly. And the whole change room was like, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It was meant to be this way. I was like, was it? Was it really? Oh, was it? And then so I had, you know, class to kind of get that, that adrenaline of, oh, my goodness, really? This is going to be the first thing I do in 18 months. Um, and it's, you know, it's a pretty hard role. It's it's yeah. a lot of allegro and it's jumping. But it is also so euphoric and so joyous and such such a beautiful piece to dance that it really was perfect for that moment. <laughs> and it was it was a really beautiful show and uh, it wasn't necessarily perfect and none of my shows anyone could ever say they would be. But it felt so lovely and so beautiful and my mum and Lockie and Jasper were watching mm. and you know that was enough it that was enough for me I, I just thought after all of this oh my gosh how did I get back here like how how was I able to have this moment like how lucky yeah Tana thank you so much um it's just been such a privilege to talk with you and you know for your honesty and talking about motherhood oh, my pleasure thank you for having me Dana continues to perform as a senior artist with the Australian Ballet, all the while juggling life with her fiancé Lachlan Gillespie, son Jasper and their twin girls Lulu and Lottie. Dana also works as an ambassador for the COPE Foundation to support women and families experiencing perinatal anxiety and depression. To continue to follow all of Dana's adventures, you can find her on Instagram at Dana underscore Stevenson. For support for perinatal or postpartum depression or anxiety in Australia, you can find support through the Gidget Foundation, Panda or the Cope Foundation. We'll put their details in the show notes. Or for further abroad, please contact your local services. Dana and I recorded remotely, with Dana dialing in from Melbourne on the land of the Wurundjeri people, to whom we pay our greatest respects. Talking Points is produced by Fjord Review. Remember to subscribe to get the episodes as soon as they're released. And if you like us, please leave a five-star review. On the next episode of Talking Points, I speak with Stephen McRae.
I got towards the end of Act Two, alone on the stage, full auditorium, two and a half thousand people, orchestra playing, starting to relax, thinking, "Thank God I'm on the stage dancing." I took off for a small jump, and my Achilles snapped. Your host and producer is me, Claudia Lawson, with additional production by Penelope Ford and Clint Topic. Sound production and editing by Martin Peralta at Output Media. And for the latest in all things dance, head to fjordreview.com.